Well, Father, we come before you as our precious Savior and Lord, and we thank you for this opportunity to learn how you want us to pray and address you. And Father, I know I have been challenged in my own prayer life and how you are uh, my Father and you want to hear what I have to say and you invite me to participate in your kingdom program by praying. And I pray for anyone here who may be dissatisfied with their prayer life or perhaps convicted of their need to enhance it or to grow it, that this will be a deep encouragement for them to go to you over and over again uh, to pray and to ask you for all things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So you and your wife are going to the plaza for a special celebration. You go to your favorite restaurant on the plaza. You got a gift certificate to pay for it. It's going to be a good night. So the hostess takes you to your booth and you sit down in your booth. And then in the booth next to you, you notice a very familiar shape and form and haircut. Don't look now, but Pat Mahomes is in the booth right next to yours, enjoying dinner with his wife. Now, your son is a crazy Pat Mahomes fan, and you have a chance to score some major dad points if you get a selfie with Pat Mahomes. But you think, you know, he's having dinner with his wife. He probably gets this all the time. I don't want to disappoint him. He's a very large man. Who knows what he'll do if he's angry? Well, probably nothing, but you never know. So you reach in to get your phone, and then all of a sudden your wife gives you the, no, you don't. No, you don't. You leave that man alone, right? So you don't ask because, frankly, you're afraid to ask, right? You think about Queen Esther. Married to the king, learns of a murderous plot to kill her people, and she asks for prayers and fasting because, frankly, she's afraid to ask because you don't just go up to a king of all people and make your demands unless you have a prior invitation. The thing is, the more important a person is, the more majestic they are, the more afraid we are to ask, right? And so when you understand who God is, right, God is an eminently majestic being. Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and, no purpose of your, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Isaiah 14.24, the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so it shall be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Right? There is a sense of majesty, a sense of sovereignty, right? God is the most important being in the universe, and often when you have this transcendent, transcendent uh, majestic sense of God, you can often be afraid to ask, right? And that is why Jesus' teaching on prayer is so remarkable. Luke eleven two through 4, he tells his disciples, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. 
Now note the address, Father. Now, in Israel, he is described as Father. Jesus will pray to my Father, but Jesus tells his disciples, when you pray to God, you address him as Father. Right? That is remarkable. It's an invitation that changes the way you pray. It makes God accessible. He is a loving Father who actually wants to hear what you have to say. It's an invitation. And then Jesus follows up with this teaching on prayer. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are, in bed, are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened." What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, this is an invitation, right, of a loving Father who wants you to be confident enough in your relationship with him that you will ask him for anything. So here's a question. Are you afraid to ask? Now, sometimes you might watch those TV preachers who almost have like this irreverent way of demanding that God gives them these things, right? In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to provide for me, right? And you don't want to pray like that. Or you might think, well, I want to pray thy will be done, but what if I'm thinking more in terms of my will and it's my will be done, not your will be done? Or you've been so disappointed so many times in your life that you always want to hedge every prayer. Oh, Lord, heal my friend of cancer or don't, it's up to you. And as a result, you just have these really vanilla, generic prayers that God doesn't even have a chance to answer, right? Because you're hedging everything. See, being afraid to ask is really making a statement about how you perceive God. Do you really believe that he is your father, he has the power to execute your prayer, that he is considering what you have to say, and that he will actually do it? Here's an exercise I want you to do, okay? I want you to think of a bold, audacious prayer request, okay? I want you to think of a bold, audacious prayer request, the, the prayer request that you are afraid to ask. Now, this needs to be filtered through the disciples' prayer, right? You are addressing him as Father. You want his name to be sanctified, right? You want his kingdom to come. Uh, obviously, you want to make sure that you are forgiven. You're in a right relationship with the Lord, and, and you have forgiven others, right? So with those things in place, right, it could be daily bread, it could be health of a loved one, sustenance of their life, meeting some spiritual need, maybe the salvation of someone. 
Okay, you think about your prayer request, right? You might even want to write it down in your notes. What is the bold, audacious prayer request that you're afraid to ask? Okay, and then we're going to go through this text. And there's really three imperatives from this to really motivate you to pray for great things from God. You see that you pray shamelessly, you pray persistently, and you pray expectantly. Right? When you understand who God is, he invites you to not be afraid to ask him. His inclination is to use his omnipotent power to give his children good things. Okay, so the first point, pray expectantly. Verse 5, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So imagine with me. Simon is getting ready to, to go to bed, getting everything ready for the night, blowing out the lamps, making sure things are put away. When he hears a knock on the door, and he opens it up, and he sees Levi, childhood friend who currently lives in Jerusalem. Apparently, Levi is traveling to Damascus for some business, and he left after sunset so that he didn't have to walk in the heat of the day. So, he walks many hours at night. He knows that you're around. You're the halfway stop. And so he stops at Simon's house. Well, Simon, of course, is going to let him in, right? Levi is a friend. There are many times that Simon actually went to Jerusalem and stayed at Levi's house for the great feast, right? Hospitality was something that you offered to friends. So he brings him in. Come on in, Levi. It's so good to see you. And uh, as his wife, as Simon's wife is getting you know, the bedroom ready, uh, Simon asks Levi, are you hungry? He says, I'm starving. Well, let me see what we have. He opens up the cupboard and he just sees flour, oil, and water. No bread has been made. Because frankly, they just eat enough bread to satisfy their daily needs. So what is Simon to do in this situation? Well, he could say, try another house. But that's not an option. He could just offer him the oil and wine that they have and throw in some flour, maybe swish it around their mouth and see what happens. If that doesn't seem too appetizing. And then Simon thinks about his friend Saul. Saul has a big family. They always have lots of bread around. The only problem is that it's midnight. And before electricity, midnight was truly the middle of the night. But it's his only option. So he goes to Saul's house and he knocks on the door. No answer. Okay, we'll try it again. He knocks on the door. No answer. And he listens very closely and he hears snoring. Okay, he is in there. So he tries it again and finally hears this groggy, what? Saul, this is Simon. I know this is a big ask. But a friend came in from a journey. We don't have any bread. Do you think you can give me, borrow, let me borrow whatever, three loaves of bread? 
And, so, and Saul says, listen, my kids are in bed. I don't want to wake them up. I don't want to open the door and unbolt it. But Simon knows. Or, I'm sorry, Saul knows that because Simon was so persistent and he made this impudent request, he says, all right. He rolls out of bed at risk of waking up his kids. He gets the three loaves. He goes through the noisy process of unbolting the door, and he gives it to Simon. Now, why did he do that? Well, Jesus interprets in verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, no, he's not motivated by friendship here. He's motivated by the impudence of Simon. Now, impudence is not a word we use all the time, right? I think maybe a modern parallel might be shameless, right? Boldness would be asking Pat Mahomes for a selfie. Impudence is asking Pat Mahomes to pay for your dinner. You got a big contract, you can do it, right? It is a bold, shameless request. And Jesus is inviting his disciples to pray these bold, shameless requests. I remember when I began to learn a vital lesson of of prayer. I I was a freshman in college at the University of Kansas, 4-0, University of Kansas, Jayhawks. Get used to it. Get used to it. That's right. New, New order. And, you know, previously, I kind of grew up in the church, and for me, prayer was almost just like therapy. I mean, I never really prayed anything of any meaning besides, like, the Lord's Prayer. It never occurred to me that God actually gives you stuff through prayer, unless you're really desperate. But as, you know, the Lord was doing a work in my heart, I was going to Bible studies, being surrounded by Christians, I, I remember I was taking a calculus test. It was the calculus midterm, and I was rocking the test until I got to the last five problems. And there were these squiggly lines and equation, these numbers on top of the squiggly lines. I've never seen those numbers above and below the squiggly line. I had no idea what that even meant. And I am a ball of anxiety because this is worth a third of my grade. And I don't know how to do the last five problems. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to pray about this. Lord, help me know the answers to these problems. Still didn't know the answer. (laughs) So then I thought, okay, I'm going to ask the professor. And so I go up to the professor and say, you know, what kind of problem is this? And at the very thick Indian accent, I don't know what he said, even to this day. (laughs) So I go back and I'm like, okay, I still don't know how to do this problem. So I prayed again, because you got to be persistent, right? I was learning about all this stuff. Lord, show me how to do this problem. And so I go up to the professor again and, and say, um, Dr. Kodialam, how do you do this problem? <laughs> and he was actually surprised. And then he said, solve the equation, plug in this number, then plug in this number, and subtract. I went back 
I solved the equation. I plugged in this number, and I plugged in this number, subtracted, and I got every problem right. By the way, he didn't teach the content, by the way, so I wasn't irresponsible. And I was the only one who got those right. Right, Jehovah Jireh, this is amazing, right? And I was like, this thing actually works. Right, so if God can help me solve these calculus equations I've never seen before, right, he can do anything, right? All you have to do is ask. So here's the thing. Why are you even afraid to ask? Does God know what that audacious prayer request is? Does he know it? Of course he does. It's been in your heart for a long time. You could not hide that audacious prayer request even if you wanted to. Don't be afraid to ask. Ask for that shameless request. Secondly, you pray persistently. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Notice uh, the progress here. Ask, seek, knock. So asking implies that there's a, a power disparity, right? Somebody who doesn't have the resources asks from somebody who does have the resources. Somebody who doesn't have permission asks from the person who can grant permission. Right? Asking is you are in the posture of a servant asking the master for the request, a subject asking the king, a child, better yet, asking the father. It is to ask. And then when he asks, he says, seek. Right? It is to actively seek. Like if you ask God for wisdom, you don't wait for God to speak to you in some dream, you search the scriptures, right? If you ask God for your daily bread, you go out hustling, seeking to find it. And then you have knock, right? Knock implies persistence. And here's the deal about knocking, right? One knock, right? You're eating dinner and you just hear... Now, in our household, that usually means a bird flew into the window. (laughs) For a knock to be a knock, it needs to be repeated, right? And the idea is you knock and you knock and you knock, and what does he say? It will be open to you. Now, dads, let's say you just put your kids down for the night. You put down your son. It's Sunday night. It's football night. And you're looking forward to a little R&R. And as you sit down, kind of stretch up, you hear, Dad, can I have some water? No, son, I don't want you to wet the bed again. I mean, he's 11. It's about time he quits, right? (laughs) Okay. So, five minutes later, Dad, I'm really thirsty. Can I have some water? Now, at this point in time, it's become an object lesson. Son, it's bedtime. I've already told you you can't have water. If I hear you make a sound again, I will come in and give you a spanking. Dad of the year. Then you hear, Dad, when you come in to give me a spanking... 
can you bring me a glass of water? Okay. I'm giving the kid some water. Right? Because he's persistent. Right? And that's almost the invitation that he's asking. He says in verse 10, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open. Right? This is an invitation to come to the Lord over and over again, seeking a response. See, a lot of times we might approach prayer as just, I prayed about it, so you can check off the, I prayed about a box. Right? You're looking for a job, I prayed about it. And then you go about sending out your resume, interviewing, practicing your interviewing, and then when you get it, right, often who gets the glory for that? It'd be you, right, even though you prayed about it. Now, when you persistently pray about it, you pray about it, and when it doesn't happen, you keep on praying about it, and when it doesn't happen, you begin to think, well, maybe the reason why I'm not getting a job is because well, I got fired from my last one, and I need to make changes in my life. Or, or perhaps, you know, maybe I, I, I wasn't giving, and so you begin to rethink just your whole approach to, to finances. And you are praying about it the whole way through, and then when you finally get the job, you don't say, glory be to me, right? But glory be to God. Because you are persistent. It is clear that he is the one who gave it to you. See, your father wants to give you good things, but like any good father, he wants to teach you in the process, right? He wants you to pray persistently, not to quit. Basically demonstrating that you know that the only means of having this prayer answered is through him. Thirdly, you pray expectantly. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, give him a scorpion, right? Jesus makes a rhetorical point, right? Unless your dad's a psychopath, if a son asks for some protein, something to sustain life, he's not going to give him something that will take life. If he asks for food, he's not going to give him a poisoned creature. And then he makes an argument from lesser to the greater, if you then, verse 13, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, don't be insulted, fathers, that, he's called, that you're called evil. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it, right? All of us have been corrupted by sin, right? All of us are evil, but there's enough common grace in fallen fathers that they're still willing to respond to the needs of their son or their daughters. This is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If earthly fathers will give you good things, and that's their hard inclination, how much more your heavenly father, and then get this, who is willing to give you, if you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, remember the audacious prayer request? How many of you guys put down Holy Spirit? I, I would imagine you would think, well, I already have the Holy Spirit. Why would I ask for the Holy Spirit? Well, again, this is an argument from the lesser to the greater, where the greatest gift anybody can have, and in Luke's original audience, right, the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit is the blessing of all blessings, right? If you have the Holy Spirit, you can enter the kingdom of God. 
If you have the Holy Spirit, you receive the comfort of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates your heart. The Holy Spirit places you in the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is your source of hope. The Holy Spirit allows you to conquer sin. The Holy Spirit helps you to understand the scriptures. The Holy Spirit teaches you how to pray. I mean, the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift. Would you rather have a billion dollars or the Holy Spirit? Would you rather have perfect health or the Holy Spirit? Right? I think we all know the answer. So if the Lord has already given you the Holy Spirit, He's willing to give you so much more. I mean, the same logic can be used from Romans 8.32, where Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Right? If, if he is willing to give you good things, such as atonement or the Holy Spirit, he's willing to give you all things. You know, that is his heart. Now, now this is all qualified by good. He's not going to give you bad things even if you, if you, even if you are convinced that they're good. Did you know that? You might think, I really want this job. It's my dream job. But, but the Lord knows it's actually your nightmare job. Right? Parents, you know that sometimes your kids ask for what they think are good things, but they're not really good things, and you know it. Right? God is a responsible father who will give you good things according to his perfect definition. That is his inclination. He wants to give you good things. So that said, right, what holds you back from really believing that your father wants to give you good things? What makes you afraid to ask? I'm sure there's many reasons, but I want to give you four of them. Uh, the first is God may disappoint me. God may disappoint me. You often hear in various apostasy, apostasy stories, deconversion stories, that God never answered my prayer. You don't want to be another casualty. You're afraid that if you ask in faith and do everything just as Jesus prescribed it. I prayed in Jesus' name. It was a prayer of faith. I wasn't wavering. I was persistent, expectant. I, I did what the Bible said, and it wasn't answered. And, well, maybe, maybe this is not legit. But you have to remember that God does answer every prayer. Did you know that? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's not now. So you pray for the health and the restoration of the health of a loved one, right? And then they, you know, the worst happens, and they, they pass away, right? It happens. I mean, all of us, I'm sure, if you live long enough, you prayed for someone's restoration to health, and it didn't pan out. It didn't work out. They passed away. But if that person's in the Lord... They will be healed. Did you know that? At the resurrection. That's a not now prayer request. And you know what? There is this alternate reality of life in heaven that maybe we don't think about. How some of the pain that we experience here leads to perhaps greater happiness there. Right? Jesus promises good things. God works all things for good for those who love him. And, and sometimes that good won't be realized in the here and now. 
You may be disappointed now, but your Heavenly Father still is giving you a good thing, even if that prayer request is not answered in this lifetime. Secondly, there might be a fear that God will redirect me. Perhaps that guy that you've always hoped would ask you out has asked you out. And somebody says, have you prayed about it? And you're like, well, if I pray about it, I might figure out that this is actually not a good thing. I, I'm not sure if I want to pray about it. Or that job opportunity that will take care of all your bills and financial burdens comes up and, and somebody asks, have you prayed about it? And you're like, well, if I pray about this, then I may not get it, right? There's a fear of being redirected. Instead of just placing this in front of the Lord with an open hand and say, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. You let me know what you want me to do and I'll do it, right? And that's the heart of a child praying to his father. Thirdly, you might be afraid to, to pray because God may change you. God may change you. You know, many times uh, when you pray, there can be an understanding that the reason why I'm experiencing this right now is because of my sin. James 5, 14 through 16, the Lord's half-brother says, If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the idea is that you call the, to the elders to, to pray and, and there's this promise, if you're sick, you'll be healed. And there's a tie-in between confessing your sins and the healing. Now, if you've ever received prayer from the elders, you know that we ask the question, you know, we bring up this verse and we ask the question, as far as you know, and we know that this is not always the case, but as far as you know, is there maybe some sin in your life that needs to be addressed? You know, could it be that this is part of the discipline of the Lord and this is God's way of helping you deal with your sin? Now, knowing this, someone may not want to have the elders pray for their sin because they don't want this question to be asked of them. Right? When you pray... You lay yourself open. What are you willing to give up, right? And then fourth, there's a fear that God may fail. Now, as a former underachiever, I often didn't give my best effort because if I gave my best effort, then it would be categorically proven that I'm not the best. If I ask God for this big audacious prayer request, then maybe God will show himself to be as not, 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 not as powerful as I thought he was. And so you're afraid to actually ask God for what's been burdening your heart. But again, God will answer every prayer, right? With yes, no, or not now. And all of this will be realized in eternity, right? And so we all know that. But did you know he actually works in the here and now? A number of years ago, um, you know, Becky was having heart palpitations and heart trouble, and we went to some doctors in California, and they diagnosed her with mitral valve prolapsed. 
which is a hereditary condition, uh, is basically a leaky heart valve. Right? Pretty devastating diagnosis for a woman in her 20s to have, right? It's a lifetime of seeing doctors, monitoring things. And so we looked at those promises in James 5, 14 through 15, and we decided to have the elders pray for Becky. And John Warnley brought up this passage, and he, and he asked the question, do we actually believe that God can heal people? Right? Do we actually believe that God could actually heal Becky? And so we actually made the bold, audacious prayer request that the Lord would heal her heart. Well, after a few months, she began to feel better. We had to establish cardiac care here. She got all the tests done. And when they got the results back from the echocardiogram, there was no mitral valve prolapse. Now, could it be that the doctors just missed it? Could it be that it was a false positive? I guess it could be, right? But when you read passages like this, it could also be, and this is what I prefer to believe, that the Lord heard the persistent prayers of his children and answered a prayer request, and did the impossible, right? So what is it that you're afraid to ask for? What is it that holds you back from doing that? God is your Father, and your Father has infinite resources at His disposal. And He invites you through prayer to participate in His grand program. If it's on your heart, and it fits into that category of the Lord's Prayer, then why not ask? Because he just might do it. Let's pray. Well, Father, I do thank you for this call to prayer, and I pray that our church won't be afraid to ask, that we'll be confident enough in our relationship with you, that we will ask, seek, and knock, that we will not be afraid to go before you and, and ask these these prayer requests of you. And I also pray that you will just answer these prayer requests. And as you do, you will just motivate us to go to you more. And Lord, help us not to grow weary in praying. Help us to be persistent in it. And I pray that you will just accomplish great things through the intercession of your children. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.